Welcome to Season 2 of the Week Pastor Podcast, where we view Christianity through the lens of vulnerability. Well, hey, welcome to the Week Pastors Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Sua, you're doing well? I am doing very well. How are very you? Very well. It's it's getting colder outside, and it's becoming a little bit nicer, but I don't know. Do you like the fall? Fall is my favorite season. Not me. W- really? Yeah, because I know what's going to happen after fall, and I hate the winter season, so I just don't like the fall. I like spring. I like spring because I do enjoy summer, but I I don't like fall because that means it's going to get really cold soon. I like the spring, too, because it's, I guess you're right, like spring is foreshadowing the summer. Yeah. But fall is so romantic and moody, and okay. fall clothes are so nice. And I think the reason why I love fall so much is because it's so um, fleeting, yeah. Like, have you noticed that fall and spring are so, sh- like, almost non-existent nowadays? Yeah. Like, I feel like when I was growing up, and maybe I'm remembering this incorrectly, but I feel like there was a distinct four seasons. But when nowadays, you were growing up I in Guatemala? Like, no, 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 not in Guatemala. <laughs> in Guatemala, it's just one season all year round. Yeah, I know. Gu- Guatemala weather is like San Diego weather. It's perfect. It's like no humidity right? and sun. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. All year round. So we would be, it would be like light jackets in the morning and evening. And then swimming weather in the in the afternoons. Like it's wow. perfect. It's all year round like that. So it was all year round was beach weather. Oh, it's paradise. I was so dark. I was so dark when I was living in Guatemala. I went. Okay, you know what? You look, I'm gonna have to find a picture of myself okay, and post it. Put it up. You probably look People, Filipino, right? Well, no. So when I would no no no. So when I would go to Korea, all, the only thing my aunts and uncles and all my friends would ever comment on is how dark we are. Yeah. Because we're in, we're on the beach like every weekend. Like we yeah, were swimming yeah. every single day, 365 days of the year on the pool. Yeah. So we were so dark. <laughs> and then when I came back to, when I came to America and then I went back to Guatemala, the only thing people could talk about was how pale we were. <laughs> like, <laughs> they were like, wow, you are so white. <laughs> and well, like that's, man, that's a thing. I guess that's a real thing. Hey, so you think in another lifetime you would have been like a fashion designer? Do you, you like fashion, don't you? Okay, what, that's, where did that question come well, from? You, the reason why is because you were saying like all the different clothing you can wear in the fall. Like I, I never even think about those things, but but you obviously do. So I'm just thinking like, yeah, fashion. Like you like fashion, right? I do Have like fashion. you ever thought about being a fashion designer? You know, I don't think I'm, but I don't think I'm the only person who likes fall clothes. I think if you okay. ask a lot of women, they would say okay. fall is one of the most romantic seasons to dress for because it's the layers and, you know, the tweed and the blazers. Huh. And I don't know. It's just there's something very like moody you, and romantic you, about it. I don't think guys think about that stuff. Do you think guys think about that stuff? Maybe some guys do, huh? But you're, are, do you consider yourself a very fashion forward no. person? No. no. Who's I, the I most fashion about, oh. forward man that you know? Oh, IJ. IJ is listening. IJ is a pretty fashionable dude. So we should ask IJ if he thinks yeah. that. Yeah. I wonder if IJ, oh. Pastor IJ, He's thinks about... He's really the most stylish fashion forward person you know? Wow. I think so. IJ. I'm just thinking who else is really into clothes him. or into like wearing nice clothes. I think it is IJ. I don't think I, I don't know anyone else Dang. really who's into fashion like that. IJ must be so proud. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, we got to get started here. What's this question? You have a question for us today, and I want to know. And it better it better be fun. It better not be too serious. Okay. Well, now I don't want to ask No, no. I'm anymore. sorry. Just, I'm, just, just, like go. I'm just joking. It's, it's fine. Dem- very, we got to change demanding. it up because mine are always like borderline, like, you know, like a little too edgy, right? It's a little edgy. inappropriate Is that the sometimes. word we're going for? Edgy? Edgy. It's a little inappropriate a little sometimes. Edgy. But yeah, but no, I think we got to mix it up and have a balance. So what's the question you have? Okay. Well, I was going to... I was 
going back and forth between one and the other one is more like serious and introspective and the other one's kind of like stupid but i think i'm gonna go with the stupid question why go with um, the serious no, no no i'm gonna go with the stupid question because i want to know what you're gonna say but okay. i'm not sure if you're gonna have an answer for it so my question <laughs> is if the zombie apocalypse were upon us okay who would you take as your partner if you could choose one partner to try to survive the zombie apocalypse once one person Mm-hmm. Just that I, partner. It's got to be somebody that I know, right? It's got to like be somebody, somebody I have a relationship with. It cannot be like, like, like you know, be, like yeah. You can't be like Bear Grylls. Like you, yeah, you have yeah, to yeah, pick yeah, yeah. like a real person. A real person. <laughs> Why would Bear Grylls want to go with you? Like you have to pick a real person. Well, because I'd be an easy target. They did take me out first before him. Why? Because you're so tall. I'm so big and tall. I'm kind of clumsy. I'll probably fall over and then they'll just start eating me up. I don't um, think that's how it would work. No? Okay. All right. You're pretty so athletic. I'm, I'm thinking of pure strength. All right, I'm thinking of like just can kill people with their hands if they wanted to, right? Oh, uh, for me, it would be my friend Eugene Peck. Eugene Peck is the strongest man I've ever met in my entire life. The guy is like, he is so strong, like ridiculously strong. He has, he kicks so hard. He has, I think he told me last time he has um, broken, meaning ripped open, I think like 10 or 15 punching bags. Like at Wait, gyms. What? What? Like, That's what how do you hard mean? he kicks. What do you mean? The, the guy kicks Is so he okay? Like, is he emotionally okay? Listen, like, does he have I, a lot of aggression? That I, maybe. But Why here's is the he thing. punching open punching so, bags? So, you know, you and I have a mutual friend, Taylor, who's also a pretty strong guy himself. And one day, Eugene said to Taylor, hey, would you mind just holding this punching bag for me in place while I kick it? And he's like, sure, no problem. And <laughs> Taylor said, Eugene kicked that bag so hard he thought his ribs were broken. <laughs> Like he said, he literally said, you know what? If this guy ever kicked me, he will kill me. And so I would want that guy to be my representative. Like I would resort and he would just destroy those zombies with his, he'll kick them with his bare and then he'll punch him with his bare hands. The guy is so strong. He squats like 600 pounds. I'm what? not joking. Stop. Benches, That's not possible. No, it is possible. I'm telling, I am not joking. I, I ate lunch with him a couple of weeks ago. He, he squat, he reps 600 pounds. He doesn't just do it one so rep. Can I just say something real quick? Yeah. So I was, before we started recording this episode, I had said to Pastor Peter, you need, we need to steer off of talking about exercising, um, and bodies because all we talk about is bodies and exercise and it's quickly turning from weak pastor to like very fit and strong <laughs> pastor and once again somehow but you said if, have... if there was a zombie apocalypse who would i bring i'd take him but I don't, guy, you know okay the I guy wanna... is a killing machine he can okay. he can destroy and kill anything but i don't i don't think that being fit and strong in a gym necessarily translates to being able to survive a zombie apocalypse I don't that's think those true. are that's completely true. analogous things. That, that that's true, but I will I will err on the side of st brute strength and uh, their ability to you know protect me, protect themselves, and all that stuff. And 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 that guy is the guy I go into battle with because he's a, he's a the dude is strong. He is so so. Like, I feel strong. like your technique in dodging zombies should be dodging zombies, not fighting them head on. That's true. And like killing them. Oh, maybe I clearly maybe, thought about this. You know, maybe I should have I should have chose somebody who's like a good sharpshooter. So if they had a gun, they right. can just aim it really well. I don't I mean, how many zombies do you really think a person can do like 
hand to hand. That's true. Combat. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know anyone who 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 can shoot like well. I don't know anyone who can really do that. That's so I wouldn't. You live in New York. Or yeah, New Jersey, I, I have I nobody. Say. You know, maybe Steve Bang because Steve Bang plays um, video games and he's really good at shooting in the video games. He's like a professional at that. So maybe Steve Bang. Steve then. Bang is one of the pastors at Metro. Yeah, Steve, if you're listening, maybe I choose you because you could probably do really well with a gun. I think I feel like really you well. should choose Steve Bang because hasn't he once said something about how he would take a bullet for you? But he only in the buttocks, not in, in any major He's, organ. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a very <laughs> so sweet you know he has he a protective instinct. <laughs> so maybe he's the one you should go for. Oh he, man. he definitely clarified he doesn't want to die for you. Yeah, but, but he'll, he'll take, take he'll take a bullet in the butt, like the leg or like the butt or some somewhere. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Did you just say buttocks? You just the said buttocks. it like Forrest Gump. Yeah, buttocks. The buttocks. Oh, you buttocks. just said it like Forrest Gump. Anyway, okay. Well, that's me. What about you? Well, mine, I've thought about it. I mean, in the beginning, I was like, maybe since I know I'm going to die anyway, because I'm not someone who's going to survive very long. I mean, just based on who I am, I am just not somebody who <laughs> realistically thinks that I'm going to be able to duke it out. I, I would rather, you know, live a short good life. So maybe I'll just take my friend Jen Shin and we'll just joke and die together. Because she also is not going to survive guys very long. Would die in like a matter yeah, of like yeah, seconds. Yeah, but we would at least be laughing while doing it because we oh, always have fun. Jen I'm here Shin? for the good life, not You're the long life. Jen Shin to fight no. the zombie apocalypse. But oh if I want it, but recently my answer has changed because um, my husband, John, ever since we've lived, like moved to Ohio, yeah. he's become quite the wilderness man. Oh, like, goodness. I, he's, With his know, cowboy he, boots? Yeah, people are joking that he's a, he's a Korean redneck. Oh. Um, <laughs> no. no, he's not. He will never be. Oh, you get you get enough time in the Midwest. Okay. You just don't know what you're gonna morph into. Oh, I you know you he's know what? very I, impressionable. I, I want to be. I, I actually really miss John. I want to like if you ever come with him. I, I don't know if I want to see you as much as I want to see him. I haven't seen him in ages. Like what just in do you person. miss about John? And why do you I don't miss know. him more than me? No, we just kind of talk him up. Cool. No, I, I, I want to talk about his love for Yellowstone. I want to I want to <laughs> see like how much he's fallen in love with the Midwest and all he that kind of stuff. He loves the Midwest. Oh, I mean, goodness. it's so okay. So I mean, sorry, we're going a little off tangent but recently um i went on a little trip and um I, you, when you're on vacation i think people just talk to you like because every, when you're on vacation yeah I think, um, but he people, doesn't talk well though he doesn't well, he, like talking he, well he's gotten better i think he's, he's gotten better now forced to kind of as an adult have right. to socialize but i realize when people are on vacation they're very willing like to make conversation with other people because they're yeah. just kind of in that place like they're vibing like they're yeah, happy, yeah yeah like yeah they're yeah so all these people kept making conversations with us like at restaurants if they're like sitting next to us they would talk to us and you know inevitably the question comes up where like oh where do you guys live like where are you from so we'd be like we're from ohio and nine out of ten times it's like ooh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly ooh. <laughs> Can anything good come like out of one, Ohio? Yeah, one lady. One lady was. Um, she was from New York, and she literally was like, "Why?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I'll tell you, John loves Ohio. He absolutely okay. loves Ohio. And now that he has this land to tend to, um, he's so happy. Like all he does, literally, his every waking moment outside of the OR is spent like putting fertilizer on the grass, watering his grass. Pulling weeds out, mowing the wow. lawn, um, cutting cutting logs. Like this is, you know, this is the stuff he's doing. And so he, I feel like maybe wow. I'll take him because he's developing some wilderness skills. Okay, okay, maybe, maybe. Or and I'll it'd be just good take to Jen die next we'll, to the side of your. We'll yeah. die in five minutes, but at least we'll be laughing. <laughs> 
So those I don't are think my you're choices. Be laughing when those you're running my... away from zombies. I think the last thing you're gonna be doing is laughing. <laughs> I got a feeling one of you are gonna trip one of each other so that they, you, they you're gonna trip Jen so she could die first, or she's gonna trip you so she so you could die before her. It's gonna be bad. You know it's what? I would not put a pastor to do that. I feel like that girl's real stealthy, and I think she would totally feed me to the zombies. Exactly. She has a very strong self-preservation instinct. And I think she would do that. Let Jen Shen, if you're listening, this is how I really feel self about you. Self-preservation mm-hmm. instinct. That's and interesting. Listen, good for her. Good for her. Good for her. We all need Absolutely. some self-preservation instinct. Well, speaking of self-preservation, we want to talk about generational sins. How does one- how does that link? Because one that was of the a terrible segue. it links it links tremendously. Because if you want to preserve yourself well, live a healthy life, you got to be able to deal with your generational sins. The I sins, feel like that was a stretch. Was that a stretch? I the sins like that your parents one. have passed down to you is going to be you and I have to be able to identify those sins so that we can deal with nice. it. Because if we don't deal with it, then we're not going to be able to live a good and healthy and a vibrant life that I think all of us wants to live. And uh, you know, there's a very famous quote that Pete's Zero, author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he says, he says, Jesus might live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. And what that simply means is that, you know, there are generational sins that we inherit from our family that go back anywhere from three to four potential generations, uh, maybe even more. And we have to identify those things so that we don't not only perpetuate, uh, repeat it in our own lives, but what we don't want is we don't want to give it to our children if we have family and we want it to really die with us. And so I thought that's it's an important episode to talk about uh, if we want to live a life where we can live it in some freedom and some health. Uh, we have to t- go back in order to go forward. We have to look at what are some of those generational sins that perhaps um, I was given when I when my fa- when I was born that I have to identify. And so I don't know, Sue, have you ever identified any generational sins that maybe you have uh, identified over the years? Well, the answer is yes. But before we go into my yeah. particular set of generational sins slash scripts, can we? talk a little bit about what they act like what it actually means for something to be so i've thought because i was thinking about this obviously we are all born with a, like a natural sin like it's part of our brokenness it's been i guess it's handed down to us from like adam and eve or whatever right theologically speaking mm-hmm. what do you mean when you say generational sin like does that mean that if my parents commit a certain sin in their lives it automatically gets passed to us like a debt or something like that like what do you mean by that when you say generational yeah it's, it's, sin? A, it's a great question um there are there are certain things and i think if you think about your family you think about your parents and and you look into like your grandparents you'll find there's common threads of of things that are sinful practices that are laid out in the bible sinful it could be anger jealousy hate it could be love for money um, um, debt could be one. Divorce could be one. If there's a lot of divorce in your family, chances are that that's probably a generational sin that was brought down to you. You know, addictions happen in that way. Abuse happens in that way. And so those are generational sins that you have to look back at and saying, what are some of those common threads? What are some of those things that are common in my family that I see from like my grandparents, maybe even my great grandparents, and try to discover what those are? Because what happens is that if we don't identify those things, we just end up reproducing it. And like, it's not a choice anymore. It's it's something that you just inherit and you just end up repeating many times. And so part of this is to identify it so that you have a choice and you say, okay, well, listen, I do realize that there is this 
this generational sin of anger in my family. It goes back. I notice it went back. I, I see that this is generational sin of infidelity in my family. It goes back. It goes way back. And I see this. And so this is something that you've inherited from your family. And you can and, and we can talk about this a little later, but we we discover that really by doing a, a genogram. And a genogram is one of the most important things you can do to discover that. And that's how you'll learn. And a lot of times, like what you can ask yourself, what are some earthquake events that happened in my family? What are some things, some, some deep, difficult things that have happened in my family that has shook us at its core? And then you can kind of unpack it from there. What were some of those things? What were some of the sins that kind of permeated in our family that allowed these earthquake, earthquake, earthquake events to happen? And you can sometimes sort of uh, filter that out and learn what are some of those generational sins. So, so for some of us, for some of you listening, this is so obvious. You're like, oh my God, I know exactly what it is. Like your spouse might say, you know what? You're just like your mother. You know, or something like that. Or somebody in your family might say, you're just like your father, you know, and things. And you're realizing, oh my gosh, I am. And I, I realize my generational sins, you really see it when you become a parent. And you're realizing, oh my goodness, I am just like my father. This is scaring me in every way. So anyway, mm -hmm. yeah, that's what I mean. Does that make, does that bring more clarity? It definitely brings clarity. I'm going to ask you a question, but I'm not sure if you can answer it necessarily or if you have an answer for this. Because... When I was in social work school, we talked heavily about generational patterns. I don't think we use the term sin because that's yeah. clearly a more biblical, like theological framework yes, for it. Yes. But um, most social workers and counselors, we all are familiar with this whole language of generational patterns. So um, it's not a distinctly Christian concept yep, to talk yep. about how parents will um, receive things from their parents, yeah. a lot, oftentimes positive, it could be positive things too. It's not Absolutely. only bad things, but also a lot of times negative patterns that then we instill in our children. I guess my question, if you can answer it, or if you have an answer for this is, um, do you think there's a difference? Like, do you think naming it as a sin makes it something more different than just a I, pattern. No, I don't think there's any difference. I think they're the same thing. You okay. know, uh, I think we just will use it more of as a theological term, generational sins, because, you know, Bible makes clear some of these, you know, they make it very clear what sins are. And, and you know, there's a lot of listing on it in scripture. But generational pattern, generational sins, I think they're the same thing. There are these patterns that are happening from generation to generation that we have to be mindful of because if we're not mindful of it, what happens is we end up just assuming it, we just inherit it and we cannot make a choice anymore. At least if you identify your generational pattern or generational sin, now you have a choice. The choice is this, are you going to repeat this or are you gonna say, no, I'm gonna let this thing die with me. I'm not gonna give it to my children. I'm gonna end it and I'm no longer gonna, gonna live in this way, in this generational pattern that has been, you know, successive that's that's happened in generation from generation and so that's it, it takes some work i mean you got to do some excavating you got to do some reflecting you might have to even go and talk to some people in your family to learn to learn more about the history of your family and i just want to encourage everyone that it is so critically important to become a student of your life that if you want to become healthy if you really want to embrace this idea of being weak or embrace a lifestyle of vulnerability, you got to know yourself. And part of that is that you got to commit to learning some things about your past so that you can be set free and you can make choices now, different choices so that you don't have to repeat some of those generational patterns and grow so that you can be the person I think that God would want you to be and that you would want to be. But if we don't do that, then we just end up, you know, sort of perpetuating what our parents did. And it's, it's a major struggle. And, 
you know, you see it like in those Korean dramas when you watch them sometimes and you'll see like parents and, and you'll see the generational sins come down from mm-hmm. or the generational pattern come down to their children and you see all that stuff happening and it happens and I see it happening in so many ways, you know, when I, you know, been pastoring the church for the past 18 years now, 18 and a half years and I see how generational sins, you know, the, uh, that just or generational patterns happen in the life of our folks in our church and um and it's it's a sad thing we just have to be mindful that they're there and we have to do the work of figuring out what they are well i think it's interesting because um you see so you see it in both in the church like people who are christian but also it's like a very common thing outside of the church as well like did you, did you ever watch this show called who do you think you are it's one of these shows where they take celebrities and then they track their ancestry all the way as far as they can no um they so basically it's a show where they take a famous person and then they basically travel all across wherever they need to to find the documents to trace their ancestry okay and very frequently you will see these patterns like and mm. it's 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 so funny because they'll have these moments of like revelation where like oh my gosh like yeah. i have been yeah. struggling with this all my yeah. life yep. and i see there's a clear distinct pattern of this happening over and over and over in my yeah. family tree yeah and so i think this is like a very very real thing um i think it's interesting that you say that you have to kind of identify them because a lot of times there's certain ones that I think are very easy to kind of um, identify. So for example, yep. if somebody is an alcoholic, if somebody's parent is yep. an alcoholic, yep. I think that's a very yep. clear, easy one to see. Like there is alcoholism yeah. there, but there's a lot of these like very like insidious family sins or generational sins that you don't even really can, you can't even really identify as a sin yeah. until you see it one day and you're like now i can't unsee it so there's a lot of them that i think are hidden in the makeup of our relationships and the patterns of things that our parents gave us and we never even questioned it like it was just a part of who we are like it just became a part of like a dna of who we are and so we never quite identified it as something that should be questioned if that makes sense no it does and i I i think a good way for us to think about this is so you start with what are some of the sinful patterns that, or, or these patterns that you really struggle with in your life? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's the starting point. What are some things that you really struggle with? So like if, if, you're, if you really struggle with lust, sometimes like I, I, I see this and like guys are thinking, my goodness, man, it's, this is such a problem. Like, you know, I'm married, and, but I can't stop thinking about committing adultery. I can't mm-hmm. stop mm-hmm. thinking about being with other women and things like that. Yeah. I can't stop looking at porn. And it's, it's just, it's just this thing is so insidious in me and I just can't. And sometimes we think it's just coming from us. And so you got to identify what are some of those patterns? What are some of those sinful patterns? And then you got to go and start looking into your family gene pool and start, and start doing uh, you know, a genogram or even asking. And, and uh, I know a professor friend of mine, he really struggled with lust. And he just thought, I, I just, I, I've tried everything. This is the only sin that's really I've been struggling with. And then he ended up connecting with his grandmother because he knows that his grandmother has all the secrets. She's got the keys to all the secrets in the family. And he basically interviewed her talked to her and he learned that this is a generational thing, a generational pattern with men in his family. Mm-hmm. 
And what it did was is that it, you know, because sometimes we get so, we feel so defeated, but we realize, oh, okay, so this is not just me. This is something that has been passed down from generation to generation that I have to be aware of now and that it was something that was given to me. So now I have a choice. Do I continue to do this or continue to live in this pattern or do I try to let it die with me and figuring out ways and now you can fight that the best you can. And so I think the, the beginning point is you got to start with what are some of those patterns that you struggle with? What are some of the patterns that your spouse tells you that you have issues in. You know, it could be your anger, it could be your temper, it could be how judgmental you are. It could be you always wanting to win a fight, you know, and when you're fighting with your spouse or fighting with somebody, you always want to be right. Whatever it is, it could be shame. One of the biggest generational sins that happen in life is shame. That's passed down from generation to generation. And so it, there's so many different uh, patterns out there that you can start with and ask yourself, what are the ones that, that really hang you up? What are the ones that you struggle with the most? And then you start to ask yourself, is this a pattern in my family? And I think that's kind of like the beginning point and where you get started with that. So, yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I am, um, I, I have a lot of. <laughs> well, what are you, what is, just share a lot. one no, or two. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking about, because there's so many to choose from, to be honest. Yeah. But I think, you know, one, and I'm going to give this one example because it's very, I don't know, I don't know if I can call it a sin necessarily because it, when you first look at it, it doesn't look like a sin. But I think when you when I keep sh seeing how this is manifesting in my yeah. life, you can yeah. see how toxic it is. So I'll give you this example, and then you tell me if this would count. Okay. Okay. So, um, so my mom. I have to go back to my mom's side. My my right. dad and my mom's side both have very traumatic <laughs> histories, and part okay. of that is I think the Korean War really sure, did a number of sure. a, a yep. lot of Korean families of that generation. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, families were literally torn apart. The mm -hmm. war did a lot of trauma, and yep. I think a lot of times that trauma prevented those people from them becoming good parents because there was so much trauma that they hadn't dealt with. Yeah. Um, there was poverty, there was war, you know, there was death, like there was just so much. Right. Um, so there's trauma on both sides of my family history. And sometimes I look at my parents and they did not for the most part have a very happy marriage and I can see it very clearly now. Why not? Because there's mm. so much trauma on both sides that was unresolved. Um, yes. but, but I'm going to take an example of my mom's family background. My mom, um, my mom, I, I don't know if I've alluded to this before, but basically long story short, she was kind of like the illegitimate daughter of, um, mm -hmm. someone, my grandma married a man thinking that that was her husband, but then she ended up finding out that she was the other woman. And this is Korea in the fifties. They didn't have like records of marriage or things like this. So it was just kind of like you live together and you're married, you know, there, it wasn't really very officially done. Um, so she ended up having my mom and then she had a younger brother. Um, and when my parent, when my grandma was raising them as a single mom, um, in the fifties, she didn't have very many options. So when my mom turned eight and her brother was six, she sent them away on a train ride, 11 hours away because she was like, I can't support you. I can't do this anymore. So she basically mm -hmm. gave them suitcases, put them on a train ride and sent them to their dad and the other woman, like the other wife. Wow. Um, and so basically they just showed up one day at their dad's house and the other woman and was like, here I am, like I am your other daughter and son. Now the story is that my mom was very good, quote unquote. So she always did the right thing. She tried to make sure she like 
helped cleaned up like you know everybody loved her because she always yeah. did the right thing yeah her younger brother who was only six or five at the time was very mischievous and you know he's going through a tumultuous time like you know he his it's unstable family so he caused a lot of trouble according to my mom so yeah. little things like you know he like he, he would do things that would get negative attention from the other mom and his dad and my mom always felt very responsible mm. for her brother's well-being and if anything he did was wrong she felt like that was her fault like she had to kind of rein him in um and so she had a lot of like so even stupid things like when you're eating at a dinner table and there's five other siblings and you know you're the illegitimate children yeah. you shouldn't be reaching for like the meat or whatever is like the main dish mm. You have to wait for everybody else to eat. But these are things that for a five-year-old boy, like you don't understand. Even an eight-year-old girl, it's hard to understand. Yeah. But she was very mature for that age because she had to grow up very quickly. So she would have to give him like the look of like, don't go for that. But he's five. So he goes for it and then he gets in trouble or he gets like, you know, nasty remarks or whatever. And then my mom always felt very responsible yep. for taking care of him. Yeah. Now fast forward, she gets married. I have, I'm born, then I have a younger brother. I didn't realize how much of that messaging of your brother is your responsibility she gave to me. Like, and I, I, I don't think I realized it because this is the only life I have, right? So I'm not comparing mm. my life to others. So all my life, I felt very responsible for the well being of my brother. So even little things like when we moved to Guatemala and um, he didn't speak English, I'm Spanish, I didn't speak any Spanish, but he would cry all the time. Mm. And so I sat with him in his class for an entire year because I was wow. like, you need me. Like I have to be here for the well-being of my brother. Um, and your so mom was okay with that? My mom was okay with that. because wow. I don't think she was okay. I think she wouldn't have had it any other way mm. because I think in her mind, the older sister is responsible for their younger brother. Yeah. This yeah. is like the script, right? Yeah. And I think she kind of communicated that to me like all of the time to the point where Every time my brother would make a bad decision, I felt poorly about myself. Like every time he did something that I mm. felt like was out of line, I felt like that was a mistake that I did. It was some kind of omission on my part or something that I did wrong and it reflected poorly on me. And mm. it continued over and over until, I kid you not, until maybe the past three, like three years ago, I finally noticed it. Because John kept saying to me, this is not normal. Like, yeah. why do you always feel like, you have to rescue him. Like yeah. every time he does something, he's an adult, he's making his own choices, but you're so entangled in his life that you can't separate your life out of his. And it only, it, t it literally took me 35, 36 years of my life to realize, holy crap, there's a momentum here that has mm -hmm. been building from my mom's life. Yep. And it was so hard to cut that off. And in retrospect, I used to think, why is this so hard? Like, why can't I just stop? Like, why can't I just, cut this off and say, yeah. you're an adult, I'm an adult, adult, like let's live separate lives. I couldn't do it. And I realized a lot of it probably had to do with the fact that it's been carrying on from my mom's entire childhood into now my life. Absolutely. You know, it's like a, there's a momentum there that I yes. think made it really difficult for me to end it. Yeah. And I think the, Sue, the question I have for you is this, um, do you put that kind of pressure on Lila with so, Audrey? Good question. Yeah. So recently, I, one time, John, and very innocently, I think John said something like, I think Audrey was, Audrey got kicked by some boy at the bus stop or something, like kind of as a joke, or I don't okay. know exactly what happened. And Lila, so John had to, was talking to Lila saying, what did you do? Like, did you protect her? Like, you have to protect your little sister. And it triggered me so much. Like, mm. it really triggered me. And I was like, you cannot 
and I think any person listening would be like, well, that's normal. Like siblings should look out for each other, you know, but man, I was so triggered. I was like, you will absolutely never put responsibility on Lila. Oh, um, oh, it triggered you the other way. Okay. Well, that's healthy. No, I, I it triggered good. me. No, no, yeah, it, but- it, it was healthy, but I also feel like maybe it's a little over, but I, I made sure I make very, make it very, very clear. John and I have both agreed that we will never it can go reciprocal. Like you should look out for each other. Yeah. But let's never put a pressure on the older sibling that it is your responsibility to watch out for your younger sibling in any way. I think it's okay to say you are, we are family. We take care of each other. And Mm. even that could, I think, get a little bit toxic sometimes. But I think there's a very detrimental emphasis when you keep saying the older one should always watch out for the younger one. And I think that was a, you know, that's a very common thing to say, even, I don't know if it's just for Korean families, but I know my father-in-law, for example, who escaped from North Korea during the Korean war, yeah. he said that was something that was communicated to him all the time. Like you watch out for your siblings. Yep. Like when yep. you're crossing the border, you make sure your kid, your yep. sibling doesn't drown. Like yep. you have to carry your sibling. Like that was like a messaging there. Right. Right. And I don't know, is that a very, do you think that's a Korean thing or do you think that's something outside of Koreans too? No, I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's something I think it's outside of Koreans what Koreans do, but I also, I also do believe that Koreans do make that emphasis a lot. Like the oldest are the ones who are to care for their siblings, right? And usually so the oldest, emphasis. the oldest in the family are the most responsible. The oldest sibling in the family are the most responsible because they're always caring. It just makes natural sense because if you're older than your sibling, then obviously the older one is able to be more responsible and so on and so forth. But what I find to be very interesting, Sua, is that. You know, it triggered you, but it triggered you not necessarily you yelling at Lila and saying you gotta, you gotta protect Audrey, you gotta defend, all that stuff. But it triggered you in a negative, in a way where you said, you know what, it's got to be dual. And so I think what you've done is you realize that this is a generational pattern that you realize that really um, um, hurt you and also really messed you up, you know, even up until about three years ago because you've sort of been ingrained to believe that you are responsible for your brother even when he's an adult. And so you were able to say, okay, well, I am not going to put that on my children, especially my oldest. And that's why it triggered you in a way where you're saying, no, you can't. It's got to be dual. I think that's the healthy way to go. Well, you got to figure out the solution. Fair, I'm, you know what? I have to be very honest. I'm not actually sure what kind of messaging I gave prior to. Okay. So this happened recently, like in Ohio. I can't, I really am not sure what kind of messaging I gave before that. Because remember, this was a relatively recent thing that I was enlightened to. And so So because I had, it had come to surface, I was very aware of it. But I'm not sure if I did that like five, 10 years ago. Well, well, there's only one way to find out. I mean, I, well, five and ten years old is, is hard, but I, I would say that uh, you should ask your daughter that. You should ask your oldest daughter that question and just say, "Hey, you know, like, did did you did you ever feel like mom pressured you to be the one that you are be more responsible for Audrey?" And I think she'd be able to tell you the but the truth of that. I don't know though. Okay, so again, I'm not sure because I don't know if my mom ever verbally said that to me. Like if I, if you had asked me when I was you don't 10 have years to verbally, old, yeah. Yeah. like I don't know if I would have, so, well, if you but got the reason, in trouble, yeah. Okay. It, but the reason why I say it's hard to say partly because a lot of it is also de- dependent on your personality and birth yeah. order. So I think naturally, I think older siblings always do feel somewhat responsible. And I don't even right. think it's that I have to say that I think, and I'll give you an example. And maybe this example actually cements the fact that I did give this nonverbal message because there was one time 
Audrey was doing the monkey bars, apparently. I was hanging out with a bunch of my neighbor friends. We were in their backyard. Audrey was doing the monkey bars, and apparently Lila was trying to hold her. And then Lila slipped, or Lila couldn't hold her anymore. So Audrey mm. face planted into the soil. <laughs> <laughs> so she had like a big like scratch on her face. Like she face planted into the grass, into the like <laughs> gravel mixed with sand i mean mixed with um dirt mixed with grass she's okay. very daring well she thought lila was gonna catch her <laughs> <laughs> but here's what actually was very interesting i remember this very clearly because lila runs over to me and in the middle of me hanging out with a bunch of neighbor adult neighbors mm -hmm. she starts screaming at me like she starts yelling at me like at the top of her lungs saying it's your fault it's your fault like she starts yelling at me like completely berserk wow. and i said what are you what is wrong with you and she goes i was yelling your name and you didn't you didn't come i said help help and you didn't come and i said i didn't hear you like nobody here heard you and she starts hysterically sobbing and then audrey's hysterically sobbing because i guess she's face planted into the <laughs> ground and then finally after everything, after I was like, what is happening? So I finally figure out that Lila was supposed to be holding Audrey's legs while she was doing the monkey bars, but then she couldn't hold her anymore. So then Audrey slipped and fell and mm. she hurt her face. Mm. And then finally, after everything was kind of calmed down, I was having a talk with Lila debriefing and I was telling her, you can't yell at mommy like that. You know, mm. that's not, that's very disrespectful. And I was trying to figure out what is like, what was the thought process? And she kept, cause she kept yelling, it's your fault. It's your fault. Yeah. That's what she kept yelling. So finally I said, what is my fault? And she said, I was looking, I was calling for you and you didn't come. And then finally I said, but Lila, why are you yelling? Like, why are yeah. you crying? And then finally she said, it's my fault. Like mm -hmm. she was like, it's my fault. Like I, mm. I, I let go and it was my fault. And now mm. Audrey's hurt. So I think it was a defense mechanism where she was yelling at yeah. me saying it's my fault, but it's yeah. because in her heart, she felt like it was her fault. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it was one of those moments where in my memory, I was like, wow, you already feel so much responsibility. And I, I guess in that case, like she was supposed to hold her, but there was such a sense of guilt on her that was like, I don't know. I felt like it was like out of proportion to what actually happened. Yep. Yep. Um, and I, and it did make me stop and think like, am I doing this to her? <laughs> like, am I putting this on her? Well, listen, I mean, it, you don't really have to do much because I think before you know it, like she can inherit this without even you being so specific about it all right. the time. Right. And I think in that moment, you could just sit her down and say, it's not your fault, honey. I know you feel a responsibility. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic that you do that but it's not your fault. This happens. It's okay. And as long as you reinforce that within her, she'll be fine. You know, but if, but you know, what you didn't do, you didn't go, yeah, it is your fault. You should have, you know, you shouldn't have let go. <laughs> That's a whole different ball you game. Work on upper body strength. But you know what makes, you know, what's so fascinating about this? Because I wonder like what Lila just said to you, she was, she felt the guilt and she blamed it on you. I wonder if that's what your mom felt. You know, or what your Ooh, grandmother what you felt. Mm -hmm. That your grandmother felt the guilt that she sent your mom away, right? Mm -hmm. And so she always expected your mom to do well and to and to make sure she behaves. She, you know, she's not the first one to grab the food at the house. That she takes care of your brother, uh, your uncle, you know, things like that. And she's doing all of that out of a sense of guilt in her own heart that she had to let your mom go and your and and, and uh, your mom's brother go. And so some of this is just really, I think that the sin, if you want to uncover it, is guilt. 
it's yeah, guilt. I think that, I think guilt. And that's the generational yeah. sin that maybe yeah. you got to get at that maybe comes from your family that you have to deal with so that your child and yourself, but that you don't feel a sense of guilt and mm -hmm. feel like, hey, you know, I don't want to live in guilt anymore. And, uh, and I will do my best not to because otherwise, you know, guilt can make you do a lot of things. You don't want to do things. You do things because you feel guilty about it. And that's not how we need to live our lives. Like, I, I know people, they'll be friends with somebody and, and be overly open to them and welcome them into their life because they feel guilty if they don't. They're like, who do they have? They don't have anyone else but me. So, like, you know, I'm just going to keep doing this out of a sense of guilt. And guilt shouldn't be a motivation of why we're in relationships with people, you know, and things like that. So, I don't know. Maybe that's something as we kind of explored it and went a little deeper. I was actually going to make fun of you and be like, golly, like, pick the most obscure thing that's really hard to dissect. <laughs> but as we do this, like, for me, it's so easy. It's so black and white. Yours is like shades of gray. But as we're kind of unpacking it and learning from Lila, maybe underneath all of that is the guilt. That's the generational thing. No, that I you, think there's a feels. lot there. Um, yeah, Yo, I mean, that's free counseling, girl. No, but if, okay, well, thank you. But if you want to add <laughs> layers to it, I mean, yeah. there's, I mean, I think it's all linked. Like, for example, optics were a big thing in my family. Um, and I think that's all yes. again related. Like so, you said, your grandmother wore girdles, right? So she was like, what? Oh my God, How old? Like 70 something. My but goodness. remember, remember you say things to me like, oh, everybody likes you. Like nobody dislikes you. Like it must be so hard to build character when like everybody likes you. <laughs> Except, yeah, hilarious. And I think <laughs> some of that, some of that is like my natural temperament. But you have to also understand my mom's entire childhood was making yeah. sure she said the right things and did yeah. the right things yeah. and never pressed any yeah. buttons. Yep. And that you think that was not inherited by me? Of course yeah. that was inherited by me. Like I, you know, I had to, I grew up with a mom like little things. Like one time actually Pastor Kevin, you know, Kevin's wife Linda Swanson, mm -hmm. she said something to me about like it was something silly. Like I was going to her house for something. It was my first time going and I brought I brought a cake. And then she said, you didn't have to bring a cake. Yeah. And I said, oh, my mom would have my head if I didn't bring something to someone's <laughs> yeah. house. And she yeah. looked at me very thoughtfully and she said, was your mom really critical? Mm. And I and I thought about it and I said, you know what? I think my mom, it wasn't that she was critical. Yeah. She just had a very clear script of how you had to behave yes. so as to not be disliked or yeah. or um, especially, I guess, in her case, because she was kind of like this illegitimate daughter or whatever, yep. there was a very clear yep. script that she had to follow so that others don't look at her and judge her and yep. say, your mom didn't raise you right yeah. because you don't have a dad. That's and right. That was kind of part of. So when you say like, I am very likable, some of that I do wonder, is it because I was trained at a very young age to yep. make sure I say all the right things yep. Yep. and don't ever behave off script? Yeah. You yeah. I mean? And you know what? Well, I, I think if I can just speak very freely about your family and stuff, like, because guilt's secondary emotions, there are secondary emotions. So primary emotions are like shame, you know, shame and fear. Those are like primary emotions. Mm -hmm. And I would say that, you know, probably in your family, that's probably where it's at. Just shame, oh, yeah. shame. is so deep. Absolutely. And that's what, that's why it transcends it. That's why you said to Linda, like, if I would not bring a cake to the house, my mom would have me in my head, you know, kind of a oh, thing. Yeah. Because part of that is that it, there's shame, right? That, yeah. that. You're always living life like you're feeling like you're lesser than, right? That you're you're mm -hmm. just not enough, that mm -hmm. you don't match up equally. And so you're always trying to overcompensate for that, right? Like, you know, and that's exactly. why shame is so destructive. It teaches you not that you're capable of making mistakes. It teaches you that you are a mistake. So that's why it's such a, a destructive emotion. And so maybe that's the thing that, that you got to get at and make sure that you don't, your kids 
are not going to inherit that from from you guys from you shame is yours too right i mean oh yeah you talk about shame Shame all the time shame is a huge thing of mine and i realized i had to get at it i had to get at it if i don't get at this that it's going to destroy my life like in every way and so I did. I, you know, I, I, uh, I said, you know what, I'm going to do my best. And one of the things I know I had to do was that I really needed God to interject because I realized how much shame had like really destroyed every aspect of my life. And that's where my anger was coming from and all. That's where like a lot of my dark side was coming from is this always this voice that I felt like, you know, that I'm a mistake and so that I'm lesser than. And I always have to live my life trying to prove that I'm not that, you know. And so, so that's kind of how I lived my life for so long. We've so our listeners have had if if they've been listening consistently from season mm-hmm. one are somewhat familiar with your story. Yes, um, and if you are someone who attends Metro, you're probably much more familiar with um, PP's story. But I wanted to ask: so if you're if if shame is one of, and I think you're naming shame as one of your family like sins yes. or generational sins, where do you think it like is it something that came because Okay, I guess my question is, obviously, there were certain things in your family life, in your growing up, that were conducive to breeding of shame. Yeah. But this, we're talking about something that comes from even before your time, right? Yes. So where did that shame come from? Well, if I, if I would, uh, I, I think shame is a big part of the Asian culture in a huge way and it's just yeah, naturally yeah. embedded within us and i can only speak for the korean culture right post-war and uh it just shame is such a deep part of i th- i believe i um the asian culture but i when i when i go back to my father um i i realized that i probably his shame came from when his mother passed young and she died shortly after he was born so i don't know if the father ever blamed him for the mm-hmm. death of the mom that's probably one part of it. The other aspect was that he remarried. My grandfather remarried, and this uh, my uh, my father's stepmother was physically abusive towards him. Oh wow! Like physically abusive towards. Him. And this was during Japanese occupation. So my grandfather was was taken into prison from the Japanese um, from the Japanese uh, soldiers, and so he was no longer there to protect him and, and to fight for him. And so the mother stepmom was at in the home, and she had all the authority. And so, you know, he would get abused uh, a lot from her. And the only person that kind of protected him was like his older sister. And he, I, he was only talked about her a few times, but he said he, she was the only one that actually protected him and tried to show love towards him. And that was it, you know? And so he, he lived with this deficit. He lived with a deficit, I believe, of, you know, maybe I was the cause of mom's death. He lived with this deficit of, you know, my stepmom doesn't love me. And, uh, you know, and that happens through, uh, through physical abuse. And then he defected and he defected. And so now you look at my mom, both her parents died young. Mother died very young as well. And father died years later when she was, I think, eight or nine years old, lived with her grandparents. Grandfather was very, very like strict towards her, made her feel lesser dead, uh, wouldn't let her eat the white rice. White rice was a high premium back in those days. And so she could only eat like the barley rice. I, that's what she told me. And like the, the, the grandfather would not let her eat the white rice because it's just, it's too expensive. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, like just feeding into that at the age of 11, she had to work in a, in a you know, full, she had to quit school and she had to work and support her grandparents because they were both sick. 
And so she worked at a button factory, you know, for many, many years. She also worked at a match factory making matches, you know, and stuff like that. And so I just think that there's my, both my parents, they live their entire, entire lives believing that they're lesser than, you know, and that they can't, you know, um, if essentially both my mom and father were like, they, they live like orphans. Right. And so I think within that, you know, when, when they had us, that was a big part. We inherited the shame from them. And they always feel like lesser than. They always constantly, they're, they're incredibly paranoid people. They always believe that people are out to get them. Mm. And it's just amazing. Like if they buy a brand new car, like at, they say they buy a car at Toyota. And then my mom's in the car and she's like, this isn't the one that we saw and we test drove. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, I just know it's a different car. They gave us a bad one. I'm like, mom, it's a brand new car. So it has the same, yeah, it has the same mileage. She goes, no, this is not the right one. This is the different one. They gave us a bad car. Like just so paranoid, thinking the worst of everyone. Like they just think of the worst of everyone. Like everyone's out to get them, you know, and stuff. And I realized these are the things that I've inherited from them that I have to work really hard at you know, and have to deal with this. And so part of how I've overcome it, uh, and I'm still working, it's a work in progress, is, oh, and then a couple with that, you know, I grew up in a physically abusive home, for those who don't know. Uh, my father didn't abuse us all the time, but when he was drunk, he would get very violent physically. And when he would hit us, he would always use the R word. Not I, I recently, Sue, you helped me understand <laughs> what the translation of that word was. I thought it was stupid, but it was actually the R word I mean, instead. it is stupid, but it's just, it's a lot so derogatory. more derogatory yeah. than just stupid. Right, so yeah. I didn't know that. And so, like, you know, you just think you get hit and your father's saying this as he's hitting you. It, what it does is that it makes you feel like, yeah, you are a lot lesser than. And so what really helped me was, number one, is I... Um, I, I decided to fast for 40 days. I just said, I really need God to help me with this. I need a, I need a spiritual breakthrough in this area because I realized how much this is controlling my when life. Did you, when did you find, like when were you able to identify this as, like I when would you say, uh, no, 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 no. This was, this, was, this was actually after, this was really about three years ago. Oh, so it's recent. Very recent. It was during okay. my doctoral program was okay. we were doing soul care and I realized, oh man, I just realized how much shame mm. really controls my life. And, um, and how it, it pretty much dictates so much of my brokenness. Wow. And so I decided to do the 40 days of fasting and praying and just really kind of asking God to come and help me to uh, deliver me from this area. Can you hear me? What happened? Sorry, I don't know. I pressed something. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> and I said that, you know, I don't want to live in shame anymore. And so I'm not going to do that anymore. So, yeah, that was a big part of it. And then I think the other thing is, like, I try to do my best to not, like to get all the information I I can get before I really draw to a conclusion. And like, so like if I feel like somebody is doing me wrong, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I will try to do my best to try to get as much information as I can before I draw that conclusion. And until I feel like I have enough evidence of everything and I, and I kind of figure this stuff out, um, I am not gonna rush to judgment on somebody and think that they're out to get me. Because again, my parent, that what they gave to me is this idea that everyone's out to get me. So that was a script for you, right? It was a script for me. Was, and that a lot yeah. of that's rooted in shame, right? Because I'm lesser than, everyone's out to get me. And so trying to think through that, and it could be like somebody from church. It could be somebody who says something bad about me or something like that. And recently somebody said to me um, that I don't have a great reputation in Englewood amongst the black community. And I'm like, really? Why? And it's like, well, people have been spreading some rumors about you and I've heard it. And Wait, I said, what? Really? What rumors? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. It's you know we're we're in the process of talking with the city about Liberty School, and I think it's 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 definitely a contentious thing. And and um, yeah, I've I've heard uh, from from somebody uh, who was this who, a credible source? Oh yeah, 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 very credible source uh, from somebody in our church, in our church, and uh, a black person in our church. And you know their kids are friends with the parents, and they didn't even know they went, they attended Metro, so they were just saying, oh yeah, we haven't heard good things about this guy Peter on. And uh, and so I was like, when he told me that, I was just like, okay, that doesn't really, honestly, that doesn't bother me because I, I know it's not true. But I think the things that will that bother me the most are things where I know people and they know me and we're in relationships. And then I wonder, what are they doing? Are they, are they saying some bad things about me behind my back? And sometimes I wonder and I get paranoid about it. And I, those are the moments when I realize, okay, I got to actually approach these people and I got to ask them point blank, what's going on? And Wait, I hold not, on, hold on. Yeah. So- Okay, uh, I don't know. Maybe this is not important, but I'm very. I want to clarify this. So, your parents thinking that a car salesman sold them a different car. Yeah, I feel like it's a very different paranoia than you getting paranoid or concerned about somebody that you literally actually know and care about yeah. who knows you turning around and stabbing you in the back, like. Yeah. Don't you think that's kind well? Of well, no, no. My parents, my parents do that all the time. Oh, okay. You know, so they, 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 they do say, everything. It's the whole oh, gamut yeah, yeah, of people. Yeah, yeah. Anyone the they know. Okay, Particularly those who okay. they know and they have a relationship with. They'll always like try to find bad things about them. Yeah. Yeah. Always try to find bad things about them and see them in a bad light. And like they always have this negative attitude towards them and never give them the benefit of the doubt. I only and, say that because John also. And I don't actually think this is a generation sin, although maybe it is. He always thinks people, not, people are not have to get him necessarily, but he always thinks like he won't trust anyone until they prove themselves trustworthy. Whereas yeah. like I always give people the benefit of the doubt. Like, I could see you doing that. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm very gullible and yeah. I always get, whereas like he... 10 out of 10 people, like he will never trust anybody until he's like 100% sure yeah. that person is yeah. whatever. Um, but I just find it interesting because so even, so I guess for you, there's very few relationships where you really feel like I can trust this person and they're loyal to me and they will not. So I think there are different levels of trust. Okay. So I think I have the few that I have, like few of my soulmates, like, I mean, listen, like I trust them to the... Mm to the highest level of trust. I know that they'll never do anything, you know, to, to, to hurt me or anything like that. And then there's outer circles. There's some people that I do trust. And I, I just don't think like you can live your life saying, I'm only going to be your friend if I can trust you fully. And, uh, you know, although you want people, you want to trust everyone, but I just think we're all broken people. Right. And like, you know, I've done some things that are probably wrong too, and, and, and has broken trust in people's lives. So who am I to depend, expect trust from you as well? Sometimes, you know, at a higher level. But I so. feel like that's, as I'm listening to you though, I think that's why, I mean, at least for me, it's such a redeeming thing that you can have soulmate relationships because of your innate nature to not trust people. Um, and in this whole idea of soulmating i'm using it as a verb um, yeah you're literally giving them access to everything they could use against you yeah, on yeah, purpose yeah, yeah. so it's actually extremely i mean it's counter like counterintuitive for most people but i yeah. feel like for somebody like you who's 
instinct is to always be like, you're going to use this against me, or you're going to, you know, come after me to give them access to your darkest parts is like literally the most opposite thing that you should be doing right against the current of what your instinct is telling you to do it's definitely the redeeming aspect of it and i would say that that was probably the next biggest thing that's helped me to deal with the shame but um the big thing that happened three years ago was that you know i've, I've had soulmates but i never did a life confession you know What's i, I share difference? with them like present sins that i commit mm -hmm. but i never share with them like sins that i've committed like 20 years ago like big ones oh, that i still kind of think about and I do think it's really important that we share our, like do a life confession with someone. Share everything mm -hmm. with someone. Confess the, all of your sins. And not the little ones, like I gave somebody the middle finger when I was driving because they gave me the finger or whatever. I'm talking about the big stuff. The like stuff that you Like giving your child the pizza crust instead of giving me that, That's, <laughs> I, I, Sue, I still think about that. As messed up as I am, I could never do that. I, I don't want to compare myself. Are you seriously judging me? I cannot yeah, believe I'm you so are judging me you. right now. I, Sue, wow. I'm so disappointed that you didn't give your daughter the pizza. You didn't wait an extra 20 minutes till you got home. I cannot believe you there. are judging me of all people. I can't believe you went with John and you said, you know what? We'll just give her the crust and we'll eat the pizza. I mean, that to me, I, you blew me away. Shows I was, I was not self-preservation instincts, which is why you should choose me to go on the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway. anyway, so yeah, but the life confessions is huge. And I remember I did that, you know, three years ago. So I realized I got to, that's part of the thing I have to do. I have soulmates, but I got to do a life confession. And that was huge. And then they did, and I, you know, I expected them to do a life confession back at me. And so that was really good that we were able to share at that level. And there was just a lot of healing there. So yeah, it's a work in progress. But I just want to encourage everyone that you got to identify these generational patterns, all right, these generational sins. And there's a lot of resource at emotionallyhealthy.org. Uh, you can go on there and you can actually fill out a genogram. They'll teach you how to do it on there. So I want to encourage you to go to emotionallyhealthy.org. And that's a good way to start. The other thing is come up with the 10 commandments of your family. What are the 10 commandments of your family? What are the things that they taught you growing up? Like one could be your parents taught you that money is everything. That's one of your commandments, okay? Money is everything. Another commandment could be, we don't tell anyone our family secrets. Mm -hmm. That could be a commandment in your family. What are the 10 commandments of your family? Every family has a 10 commandments. What is it? Identify that, and that'll help you to discover what are some of those generational patterns that you have to try to figure out. And, uh, and that's really the way in how we have to go about doing this, but we need to become students of our life in order for us to be set free from this, really. So anything you wanna say, Sue, before we wrap up? No, I'm thinking, but I think, um, no, I think that you've summed it up. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not trying to take the onus away from myself in terms of figuring these things out. But when I look at, sometimes I laugh because after I went through emotionally healthy spiritual, like the EHS course, yeah, and I remember looking at my family scripts of which there were many and generational sins of there, of which there were very, very many. Um, I remember laughing because I feel like John doesn't have very many, <laughs> mm. like, I mean, no, I'm not saying John is perfect, yeah. but when I, I mean, I've been married to him for 14 years at this point and I've known him for seven years, like, or four years longer than that, or no, seven years longer than that. So I've known him for more than half my life. And I feel like if there were real bad patterns, I would have noticed them by yeah. now, but there really aren't many. And mm. I sometimes wonder if it's because when I look at the family, trajectory of his parents' lives, even though they also both left North Korea and they had difficult times, the way, because I know a lot about John's family, even though John 
is their son, they tell me because of the language barrier. Yeah. I hear a lot of their stories a yeah. lot more than John. And their lives did not have a lot of trauma. Um, yeah. Their families all stayed together. Um, they have very loving, stable homes. Yep. Uh, parents loved it's each other. Blessing. And everybody left together. Yeah. Like their whole thing was every nobody gets left behind, everybody goes yep. together. Yep. Yep. And I, I look at that and I say, man, like so much of this is also um, circumstantial. Like yeah. I look at my parents' parents' lives and his parents' parents' lives. And it's like night and day. Yeah. It's just my side is just yeah. riddled with trauma. Yeah. Um, and his family is relatively stable, like yep. loving and stable. And I, and it's just, man, like my, when I look at that, my goal as a parent is, man, I would really like to give my parent, my children this side, you know, mm. the side that is stable and loving. Like I really mm. would like to end it with me so that they don't mm. have to then struggle. I mean, of course they'll have their struggles on their own because we are all broken people living in a broken world. But man, if I can just lessen that load for them by identifying it in my own life and trying to um, give it to God and ending it, it would be such a blessing to me. And I would yeah. really be able to say, I tried my best as a parent. It's one of the greatest things you can do for your children is to identify. And, and I don't care if your children are older, you, you know, you're listening to this cause I got a kid in college, graduating college and one just starting college and I got a high school kid, but, uh, but it's never too late to do this. And so I do want to encourage you go to emotionallyhealthy.org and start filling out a genogram and start learning by the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. We are also or, not sponsored. We're not by sponsored Pizza by Zero these. Or yeah. Emotionally Healthy or, Spirituality. Or a book that, that actually will go, go a little deeper into this stuff is Soul Care by Rob Reamer. And I encourage you, Reamer is R-E-I-M-E-R. -E -E and you can buy that book too. And there's some great resources there. But it is it is key that you do the work so that you can be set free and that the future generations will no longer have to repeat the patterns or the sinful patterns that have destroyed the quality of our lives. And so I do hope that you'll do the work. If you have any questions, any thoughts, any comments, feel free to comment it also on our social media, but you can also email us or just go on, go on weekpastor.org and share with us your thoughts, your concerns, and any questions you might have, and we would really, really appreciate it. So I just want to thank you so much for listening. I hope that you have a wonderful day, and please come back next week and hear us in a brand new episode. Take care.